Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? And welcome back. Second service. Good to have you with us today. And I just want to say, as I said at the first service, isn't it awesome that we are able to have Jesus do our announcement videos? I mean, it's just so great every week. And so uh, Aaron was in our first service. They do a great job with that. So uh, I looked up and said, Jesus, there you are. (laughs) Good to see you back. We went through an amazing Easter weekend. I'm so glad you got to join us and celebrate. And just want to kind of just let you know what took place last weekend is um, in our four services and giving thanks to the Lord is we had 2,050 people here over our four Easter services last weekend, 157 salvations and 64 water baptisms. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Awesome. I want to just uh, thank you for inviting and coming and praying and everybody that uh, helped and served. It was an amazing, it was an amazing weekend. And I just want to thank you for um, sharing the love of Christ with those that came in our doors for the very first time and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, we started in on this new series called I Am, and we talked last week about the statement that Jesus made, I am the resurrection and the life. And we're going to go to part two today, but before we go into that, I just want to say the I Am series is about helping you develop and establish your internal identity and that it would encourage you. And the reason this matters so much is, is there are a lot of voices in our own life that tell us who we should be, what we do, the wrongs we've done. Somebody else has done this or did that, the way we've been treated, and many times it ends up causing us to believe certain things about us. I want to tell you today that it starts by challenging those things of this question, who told me that? Who said that to me? Who spoke that in and over my life? And, and what we want to do, I want to challenge you to come right back and say that you can experience God's perfect plan for your life and all that God has said about you. If you'll just stand up and you'll begin to challenge that, and if you've never done that before today, I hope that you walk out of here knowing today as a believer that you are born of God and that you are from above and you have heaven's DNA flowing in your veins, right? Can somebody say, I am? So I want to encourage you with that today as we go through this next part. What I'm saying is some of you have got to get the old I am, get it out of your life, and you may need an I am adjustment today, but I'm glad you're here, an I am adjustment that keeps you from the very best that God has And you need to replace the lie in your life and declare the God-given I am over your life and begin to live it out. All right, you with me? So here's a question. Who are the two most important people who ever lived in the history of the world? The first one, who do you think that is? You got it. That's a layup. I mean, that is about as easy as you can get. That's a give me, right? Who's the second most important person who's ever lived in the history of the world? I mean, who would that be? And, you know, you know, as a man, if you said your wife, you're genius, okay? That's great, but I'm going to kind of move on and not, not deal with that one today. But, but the, the Bible talks about that there is another person that is important who lived in the history of the world. And what happens is your answer 
reveals a lot about something called your worldview and my worldview, how you see history and your place in it. The Bible teaches us that the second most important person in the history of the world is a guy named Adam. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, 45, it talks about Adam, the first Adam, we see back in the book of Genesis, and Jesus, the last Adam in our life. Really, there's two distinct categories. There are yesterday people and there are tomorrow people. Those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what God wants us to know. Those who are in Adam, those that are in Christ Jesus. And my question for you is, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Because a very, very important question. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ, but you can't be in both. And this is incredibly important because you and I were born in Adam, the first Adam in Genesis, as a sinner, right? The Bible tells us that you and I, every person who has ever lived, is born into sin. And then you and I, as we come and realize the truth, that we are born again in Christ, who is our Savior, so important that we realize we're going to go into the first chapter of Ephesians today, and we're going to look in here and see God as he speaks about, there's two leaders that he, he sorts out for us in the first chapter, this word he calls head. The word head, he says, is the leader or captain. That's what he associates with a person being head of, even head of our lives. That he tells us that none of us stand alone. We're part of either one or two groups. We are either, we are in Adam or we are in Christ. And 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 22, before we get to Ephesians, says, for since death comes through a man, he's referring to Adam, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, Christ Jesus. And the language you look in here is that he says, in Adam, all what? Die all die in Adam. So also in Christ, we shall be made alive. So I want you to begin to see yourself in these two terms. Either you are in Adam or you are in Christ Jesus. And this is so incredibly important, as we just said a moment ago, that we were born in Adam. We inherit a sinful nature. We inherit from, from the first Adam separation from God, and we need to be born again we're physically alive, but spiritually dead to God. We also need to be made spiritually alive to God through being born again in Christ Jesus. And this is the foundation and the framework of our identity. The Bible speaks of identity in Adam or in Christ. So much so that it talks about this word, these two words, in Christ. Can you say that with me? In Christ, 216 times. Now, anyone who tells you something 216 times, number one, it's important. Number two, they're afraid you're going to forget. You know what I'm saying? So, so don't forget this. 216 times throughout the Bible, over and over and over again, it says these words, in Christ. And I want to use that as a foundation as we talk today out of Ephesians. We need to know that there is a difference in being in Adam, and there's a difference in being in Christ. At the cross of Jesus Christ, he traded places with us. He literally traded places with you and me. All the death, the shame, and the condemnation that we deserve went to Jesus. All of the forgiveness and the love and the grace that Jesus rightly has as the sinless son of God comes to us. So that changes and will change our identity. And I want you to see, if you were in Christ, 
you are in Christ's position and Christ is in your position. That he suffers and dies that you and I might be blessed and that we might be alive. Do you believe that God the Father loves Jesus Christ? Do you believe that? Yes. Do you believe that he is kind towards him, gracious towards him, that his ear is attuned towards him, that his affection is devoted towards him? Abundant life, I want you to know there's good news for you. If you are in Christ, you stand in the position of Jesus Christ. Amen? You're not Jesus Christ, but we stand in the position of Jesus Christ because what he has done for us, that you are loved as Christ is loved. You are blessed as Christ is blessed. You are embraced and adored as Christ is embraced and adored. So in Adam, we have to understand this. In the first Adam, there is defeat, but in Christ, there is victory. In Adam, there is condemnation, but in Christ, there is salvation. In Adam, we receive a sinful nature, but in Christ, we receive a new nature. In Adam, we are cursed. In Christ, we are blessed. In Adam, there is wrath, there is death, but in Christ, there is love and life. My question for you is, are you in Adam? Or are you in Christ? What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, John 15, verse 5, here is a great I am statement. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Any of you do any gardening? Any of you spend time in the garden? We got any landscapers that are here? You, you understand this. The branch needs the trunk. The branch cannot survive without the trunk. There's no nourishment there's no life for the branch apart from the trunk. So every time you see a tree, every time you see a plant, remind yourself that he is the vine and, and, and he, he is the trunk and I'm just, and you're just a branch. We're a branch in him. I am the vine, you are the branches. And he goes on, whoever abides in me, now that is relational language, abiding in me, that is words of affection. Jesus is a person, not a concept. I don't even know what I'm saying. He is alive. He is not dead. He speaks to you through scripture. He hears you through prayer. He wants a relationship with you, a personal, loving friendship. He's using relational language. And if you continue in that friendship, he said, whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit from apart from me. You can do what? Nothing. Apart from Christ, this is Jesus' own words. This is not mine. This is Jesus' own words in Scripture. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. That is powerful language. That is a powerful description. Some of you say, well, I can do a lot of things. And in the sight of God, it's nothing if you are not in Christ. Nothing. I cannot read that any other way. Well, it could mean, no, he said, apart from me, you cannot do anything. Nothing. Nothing is possible. The only way to live rightly is to be lived and eternally credited as we are in Christ Jesus. And Christ is in us, and then Christ is in the overflow of our life, and his outpouring comes out. I want you to see that the beginning of your identity is in Christ, and then also the, it's also the beginning of your activity. Not only is it the beginning of your identity, it's the beginning of your activity from John chapter 15. That's, you, you can't do nothing, you can't do nothing without me. He said, but if you are in me, he says, then I've given you an identity and now start your activity in me. So from your identity comes your activity. 
Jesus wants to come into your life. He wants to flow through you. But it's not you. It's Christ in you. It's Christ through you. And we begin this talk a little bit last week. We understand that when Christ is our identity, then suddenly you understand your hope is in Christ, your power is in Christ, and your fruitfulness is in Christ. If you're with me, say yes. That it gives us great humility to say, I can change by the grace of God. But remember, you and I are not the trunk. Right? We don't just get to change on our own. We change because of who Jesus Christ is. We are a branch. He's the vine. He is the trunk of the tree where we get our nourishment from, but we cannot just change on our own. So we need to realize that. Are you an Adam or are you in Christ? You know, the best place to start your identity is to start in Jesus. Who's Jesus? Well, what he's done. Who, who am I in him? Now, all of that. There may be things that explain you and me, like an introvert, an extrovert, a thinker, a feeler, those kind of things, but they don't define me, right? Those are the essence of who I am and who you are. They may be activities, but they are not my identity. Do you know who you are? We don't work for our identity. We work from our identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it means whether we succeed or whether we fail or whether we're rich or whether we're poor, if we're living a life that glorifies God in Christ, our identity is unshakable. That means that our life is not poverty-free, it's not affliction-free, it's not suffering-free, but it's poverty, it's, it's affliction, and it is also sickness-proof. How many of you are with me? We'll get it through Christ. We'll grow to it through Christ. The good news is, is we're still in Christ and our identity is secure as a believer. So as we look in the first chapter of Ephesians, turn there with me if you will, we're going to look at this book that the apostle Paul wrote to this church and to us today, it is considered one of the most profound works out of the 66 books of the Bible and God is known inside of this as a head coach giving churches and giving believers an identity and authority in him. We realize Paul, he's been in prison, he's hated, he's opposed, he's despised. He's talking about our identity, our identity not being our idolatry, but our identity being in Christ. And now verses three through 14, I want you to understand when this was written, and it's written in the Greek text originally, that's their language, it's one sentence. Verses three through 14, it's one sentence in the original writing. So all of you English profs, you're just going to probably freak out when you read this. This is just one seriously Holy Spirit-inspired, poorly punctuated verse of Scripture. So just get over it now. Okay. Just know that as you're looking in this right from the beginning, I want to talk to you today about nine things about who you are in Christ so that you can set who your identity is inside of him. The first one. Are you ready? One, verse one, he says, in Christ, you can be faithful. Can you say faithful? To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. In Christ, you will live a faithful life. In Christ, you will live a consistent life. In Christ, you will live a persevering life. 
Because if you abide in him and he abides in you, you can bear much fruit, right? That's right. So there's hope. It's not just my life for him. It's his life through mine. So in Christ, you can be faithful because you see Christ was faithful. He never rebelled. He never sinned. He never strayed. He never repented. And I just want to bring clarity to this today and stand here because there's a great deal of a younger generation right now in our world that believes Jesus sinned while he was on this earth. There's a prevalent mindset that is going around that Jesus, you know, he lived a rebellious life even though he was Jesus and came to the earth. He, there's no way that he could have lived Perfect, but I want to tell you, according to the word of the Lord, which is absolute truth, that he is the one that lived a sinless, perfect life, and Jesus never, ever had to repent. How many of you are with me? That is what the word of the Lord tells us, and I believe it. In that the Bible says Christ alone is faithful. He is faithful to us, and even though we're faithless, the Bible says, the Bible says that he is still what? He's faithful. Even when we have been without faith, even though we've been faithless, he is still faithful because that is who Christ is. So we see that Christ is faithful. The second thing, in Christ you are blessed. That's the second thing. You are blessed. Can you say blessed with me? Ephesians 1, 3, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Verse 6, he says, you are blessed in the beloved. So in Christ, you're blessed. In Christ, you're blessed. Sometimes that's financial. Sometimes that's emotional, physical, spiritual. You've been blessed also with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been blessed with the love of God. You've been blessed with the forgiveness of Christ. You and I have been blessed with the guarantee of the resurrection from the dead and an eternal life in Christ Jesus. We deserve hell, but when we come to Christ, we get heaven. How many of you are thankful for that? Amen? Amen. Everything else is a blessing. You are blessed. It is not an excuse for laziness. How many know what I'm talking about? But it is for us to be thankful in what Christ has done. Some people just live and say, oh, well, Christ is, Christ is he's, he's a blessing and he's just blessed me without me doing a thing. No, it's going to take your and I's participation in that. I want my children to know they're a blessing, not a burden. I want my wife to know that she's a blessing, not a burden. Now, now I am a burden. I just want to say so I can say, but they're a blessing. When God provides things in our life that Kristen and I, we say many times, aren't you thankful for the blessing of God? That God showed up and God was able to bless you and touch you and you were able to be blessed with this. That we need to be mindful of God's provision that he answered our prayers and it comes from God's hand. Amen? We're blessed. Number three, in Christ you were chosen and blameless. Chosen and blameless. Can you say those two words? Chosen and blameless. Verse four. He, that is God, chose us. You were chosen and made blameless. Let me ask you a question. Has anyone ever chosen you? you we go back many times to our memories inside of school, and, you know, we go to the, we're playing a game, and there's teams. And has anyone, you were in school, it's down to you in a potted plant. And they're, they're, 
I'm going to take the potted plant. You know, you ever felt that way? You felt like, man, last one, pick you. Pick me, pick me, pick me, right? You know, we, we know we felt that way. And it's like, man, how many of you have been picked for anything awesome? You know, you're a kid. They're like, today, we're going to draw a name out of the hat. And you're like, it, it's, it, I hope it's mine. It's not mine. It's not mine. Now, if it's chicken pox, I'll get picked every time. But, you know, <laughs> but in Christ, you're chosen. That's where salvation is of grace. You're chosen in Christ. Again, there are two categories I want you to understand. I want you to understand that there, as Scripture has said in 1 Corinthians 15, there is a life that you can live in Adam or there's a life that you can live in Christ. And you and I get to choose and pick from that every single day that we live. Whether we will live our life according to Adam, according to the old ways, according to the way of death, according to the things that are not life-giving, or we can live to the things that are life-giving, that are in Christ, that bring us joy. Yes, there's probably going to be pain, no doubt about it. But we, our identity is fixed in Jesus Christ. And that's what I want you to understand. Our identity is so valuable and so important in Jesus. But we see we get to pick. You know, God sees all. God knows all in his sight. This is what, he, this is what God means to live quorum Deo, which means in the face of God, that we are constantly living in the face of God every single moment, and we can live a life that is chosen, that is holy and blameless in his sight. Do you believe that? I do. How many of you ever committed a sin that you just feel like that has become your identity? that you're the worst day of your whole life. That's what you've done. That's who you are. I want to let you know that's what you've done. That's who maybe you are, but that's not true. Who you are is in Christ. What you've done is a sin, and it may explain you, but by the grace of God, it doesn't have to define you. Too many people have let their failures define them. Yes, it's what you did. It was wrong. It was sinful. But so many people camped there. They pitched the tent. They said, this is where I'm staying. And they have let it define them. It may be something in your past, recent past. But it doesn't need to be in your future, and it doesn't need to be in today. In Christ, you're holy. That his perfection is your perfection. That in Christ, you're blameless. That God does not have a list of your transgressions. Did you know that? Your failures, your offenses. He's not looking for a way to condemn you or to punish you. This frees us up to live a life out of the righteousness of Christ and to live for his glory. Number four, in Christ, you are forgiven. Can you say forgiven? Verse 7, in him. Now remember, in him, in him, in 216 plus times, we see throughout the word of the Lord, in him, in Christ, in Christ, in the beloved, over, over, and over, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses or sins. In Christ, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're not a little bit forgiven. You're totally forgiven when you come and repent of your sins. You're totally forgiven. We have a hard time as humans to even comprehend that, that we, hard to understand that Christ erased it. And when you sin tomorrow or the next day, when you come and you repent, he says, listen, you're then becoming, an, you're an identifier with me and I have forgiven you. And he said, listen, I want you to know that. And you're going to have to rely on what Christ has already done, that God isn't into punishing you. 
but what Christ has done for you that you can live through his identity. You are forgiven. Number five, in Christ, you can know the will of God. Verse nine, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So here's my next question. Have you ever been confused about, the what, about what the will of God is for your life? Yeah, you ever woke up? I don't know. What do you want me to do? He says, in Christ, we find meaning and purpose. It's the only way as humans to make the divine connection with the creator. He said in him. You know how many people are roaming this earth this moment without purpose and meaning? They don't even know about it. And God says, I've given you purpose and meaning. If you'll just connect with me and you'll learn to identify with me, I will show you my will and I will show you my divine purpose for your life. We may not know, but God does. God, do you want me to work here or would you prefer me to work over there? But we need to realize whatever we are doing, that we do it as we work unto the Lord and we glorify him. You know, am I going to be sick? Am I going to be healthy? Am I going to be rich? Am I going to be poor? Am I going to be married? Am I going to be single? Sometimes those are the wrong questions. The question always should be, how should I live in this season in Christ? How should I live in the season that I'm going through in Christ Jesus? My purpose may not to be rich or healthy, may not be married, may not be successful, but God's purposes, God's will for me, is whatever circumstance I find myself to live out, I find my identity in Christ connected to that. If it's single, it's to live as Christ did pure and holy, a godly worshiper through singleness. If it's in marriage, then in Christ, that you want to love and to serve your spouse, that it should always come back to who our identity is. But let me tell you something. If you're in this room today and you're living your daily activity, you're living your daily life in the identity of Adam, you may be a single person here that is just running after every single, uh, every single person out there that's not even the will of God for you, maybe living in impurity at this moment. You could be a person that's here today that is a married person, and all it is is in mar marriage is in title only, rather than a covenant that you have with your spouse before God. That you're only living your identity today in Adam, even though you call yourself a believer because you're saying, you know what, I can no longer live with her. I can no longer live with him, and so I am going to do my own thing. Can I let you know something? That is a life lived out of an identity in Adam. How many of you are with me? Or are you going to say, God, you have given me the spouse. I'm going to love them and I want to serve them. And in Christ, my new identity says our relationship can be healed and God can reconcile our differences. Amen. Don't preach very well in America. It doesn't sound like it's preaching very well in the church this morning either, but are you with me? That this is the spouse God's given to me for life. Well, pastor, you, you have no, I have no idea. You're right. But God does, and he puts you together to start working on your identity in Christ together and to get that thing right and to be reconciled in your differences 
rather than people that call themselves Christians in name only, that they stop living in Adam, then they start living in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see what happens when our life begins to overlay on Jesus? We say, oh, this is how. He is the model. He is the image that we are to go after. He is the one. He is the example. So we live our life after that. And that doesn't mean it's pain-free. It means there will be pain, but inside of it, there will be great joy because you are following after what the master has said. Amen? What does it mean to live my life in Christ? Number six, in Christ you are reconciled. Can I hear reconciled? Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, that is in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. In Christ you're reconciled. In Christ the two are brought together. What does it mean? Reconciled it means restored. Reconciliation is about restoration. That God can restore something no matter how bad it is. And I'm gonna come back to this thing in marriage because there is a lot of wonderful marriages in this church. But there are marriages of people that are sitting here in the sound of my voice that your marriage is on the brink of divorce. Let me tell you something. You can stop it today with God's help. Come on, because you have a new identity. Come on, right? That today you get to choose. Will we continue to live our relationship in Adam that is all about death? Or are we gonna begin to live our relationship in the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because Jesus says, I have reconciled and I can reconcile anything. And we live in a world where, you know, we live in this relational uncoupling. Oh, you ever heard that word? Oh, relational uncoupling. All the stars are using it. Whatever, you're separating, you're going for divorce. Whatever way you want to paint it, you need to be reconciled in Jesus' name. And that is the only way through Jesus Christ that we can come together and be reconciled. Are you with me? Say yes. We are reconciled together in Christ. We're reconciled to one another as the church in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. This gives us hope for our earthly relationships. It gives us certainly hope for our divine relationship. I'm not going to say a show of hands on this one, but how many of you have a difficult divided relationship with a believer or believers right now? The only hope is that the two of you in Christ, you'd come together in Jesus. He becomes the one who forgives he becomes the one who suffers, becomes the one who reconciles. He becomes the one who allows you to live your identity together in him, in Christ. Seven, in Christ you have an inheritance. Can you say inheritance? Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. There is an inheritance in Christ alone. That God has an inheritance for us. We get some of it in this life. See, here's another thing. I think as believers, many times, we're looking for our whole inheritance why we live this earth, aren't we? Because all we see is physical cash, money, physical things, and we're thinking, wow, that's the full, I want to see the full inheritance. If you're a Christ follower today, you and I will not receive our full inheritance upon this earth. You better not, or you're getting nothing later. Mm, that's another message. <laughs> right? Because the rest of our inheritance is yet to come. We don't get it all while we're down here on earth. If we did get it all, why would we need heaven? Hello, 
right? So God has an inheritance for us. We get some of it here. Now, listen, when the Bible talks about this life, the life we're living right now, it has three words, a little while. That's the word the Bible uses over, a little while. In a little while, in a little while, in a little while. I know we're in the middle of it. It seems like a long while, but in Christ, there's resurrection from death. In Christ, there's eternal life. In Christ, there's an inheritance, and that can come by a physical inheritance where all of your sickness will be gone. It, could be, it will be a spiritual where your reconciliation with God will be complete. Others will be made perfected. Emotional where you're filled with everlasting joy. It could be financial where you will not be hungry and you will not be poor and you will not be in need forever. There is a great inheritance in Christ Jesus. And when our identity is fixed in him, we will eventually get all that God says we can have in him. So we need to know that so that we will persevere on the journey. Number eight, in Christ you have hope. Can you say hope? Verse 12, that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Abundant life, your hope is in Christ Jesus. Your hope is not in your government, in your beauty, in your IQ, or in your EQ, in your degree, marriage, family, children. Your hope is not in your success. Your hope is not in your friends. Your hope is in Christ and in Christ alone forever. Apart from Christ, there is no hope. Absolutely impossible. That whatever God should have for you, that it cannot be a hope in something or someone, it has to be that your hope is in Christ that will endure and last forever. Because let me tell you, it saddens my heart as a pastor many times, and I'm sure it saddens your heart many times as believers when you hear someone hang their hopes somewhere other than in Christ. Because we know it will fail them, it will destroy them, it will devastate them, and it will grieve them. Lastly, number nine, it says, in Christ you have the Holy Spirit. Can you say Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit. Now, there are 30 plus statements Paul gives. I'm only going through nine. You see, this is so incredibly important. He says in verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, you see, this is the truth. We're hearing God's word. We're hearing the truth. The world is filled with lies about who God is, about who we are, about our identity, about what his purpose is, about our destiny. And it says the gospel of our salvation and believed in him, salvation believe is believing in him. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We are sealed. The way you know your identity in Christ is through the presence, the person, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see he writes the scripture. He illuminates our understanding. He awakens our awareness. He changes our desires, and he refashions our identity that you and I do not live by our own power, but we live by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? We live by that power, his power. Hard to understand. We can't even muster up enough energy on any given day, but that we would allow the Holy Spirit to motivate us and to be filled with the Holy Spirit 
and live a life of blessing and obedience to God. We know it was the Holy Spirit who empowered the life of Jesus Christ. And we know that his life is not one just to be observed, but to be experienced and is lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we know the Holy Spirit caused him to have joy even enduring the pain of the cross through sadness and suffering. It was the Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead, the Bible says. Realize this, the Holy Spirit is not a force, but he is a person. He is not impersonal. He is personal. He's not far away. He's near. He's not against you. He's for you. He's not wanting you to perform. He's wanting to perform new life in you today. He doesn't want you to live a life of lies and death. He wants you to live a new life based on the truth of Jesus. And when you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You are someone that you could never be, and you can live a life that you have never lived. You know, as we come out of last weekend, and we keep hearing the stories of what God has done, salvations, water baptisms that were so amazing, so amazing of the life change. I mean, so exciting. I mean, it, it was just, it's overwhelming to our hearts. But amongst the many stories, after the first service last Sunday morning, a father came up to me and he says, I want you to know something. He said, my daughter going in that baptismal tank today was a result of 20 years of prayer. Not only did she get baptized, she found Jesus as her Lord and Savior today. And she received water baptism spontaneously at the last moment that God touched her life. Let me tell you something. That as I'm speaking now, the Holy Spirit's doing a mighty work in us. Amen. That, that as you're going forth and you're witnessing about the Lord, the Holy Spirit is already at work. The Holy Spirit is already going out when you're praying. You don't even maybe know how to talk about the Lord. The Holy Spirit is there. He's illuminating the hearts of people, of minds, of those that are resistant to the Lord Jesus Christ, of those that are so close to stepping over the line that it is the power of the Holy Spirit to illuminate hearts. And he says, in Christ, you and I have the power of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. So let's stand to our feet, and I want us to sing today as we leave this place, and, and then we'll be dismissed. And so let's sing this today that, listen, we're no longer a slave. Come on, we're no longer a slave. Hello, we're no longer a slave. Amen. But we are a child of the living God. Amen. God bless.